For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Welcome to Made for Another World podcast, where we hope to keep each other, and hopefully you, on the path to another world, one we were made for. With Aaron Alvarado and me, Jacob Simmons, this is episode seven, The Transforming Power of the Gospel, written by Jerry Bridges. Geraldine Bridges was born on December 4, 1929, in a cotton farming home in Tyler, Texas. He was the author of more than a dozen books, including The Pursuit of Holiness, which has sold more than one million copies. Jerry entered into the joy of his master on Sunday evening, March 6, 2016, at Penrose Hospital in Colorado Springs, the day after he suffered a cardiac arrest. He was 86 years old. In an introduction to the book, Jerry wrote these words. Transformation into the image of Jesus is much more than a change of outward conduct. Rather, it is a deep, penetrating work of the Holy Spirit in the very core of our being, what the Bible calls the heart, the center of our intellect, affections, and will. It is what is sometimes called a change from the inside out. But though the transformation process is primarily the work of the Holy Spirit, it very much involves our earnest, active pursuit of that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what is it that will engage our affections or desires to earnestly pursue transformation into the likeness of Jesus? What is it that will inspire us to want to do what we ought to do? And that's the question we will be seeking to find as we read through this book. Jerry writes a little bit later. I learned three valuable lessons. Number one, the internal warfare between the flesh and the spirit that Paul describes in Galatians 5.17 is the normal Christian life. Regardless of how much we grow spiritually, we will all, our lives, experience the conflict between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. Number two, the more we grow in Christ's likeness, the more sin we will see in our lives. It isn't that we are sinning more, rather that we are growing more aware of and more sensitive to sin that has been there all along. The Holy Spirit does not reveal all our sins of the heart to us at once. Instead, He brings us along gradually as He works to transform us into the image of Christ. Number three, spiritual transformation requires of us what I call dependent responsibility. All the moral commands and exhortations of Scripture assume our responsibility. We cannot just let Jesus live his life through me. No, we are responsible. At the same time, we are dependent on the Holy Spirit to do both his own work and enable us through his power to do the work we must do. Is it odd that there is some amount of peace in knowing that we will always, like, struggle I guess (laughs) you know because he says and he says the normal it's the normal Christian life is that we will all our lives experience the conflict between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit so that's partly frustrating it's like I'm always going to there's always going to be this battle Um, we're always going to continually be sanctified uh, and we'll never come to that completion, this side of glory. So there's the frustrating part of that, but there's also, like it's not, there's that goal to attain that we know will not happen on this earth. Since we know it will not and cannot happen, there's always growth, Hmm. but like there's, it's almost like, ah, even though I'm not, you know, every other aspect of our life, there's there's a goal to reach. You know, if you're, if you have a, a job and you're, you know, you want, the top position or whatever it is, there's always like, okay, I've reached that goal. You know, this is this, I've completed this, whatever it is before me. But with this, there's, there is, we know that we cannot reach that goal. So there's almost a peace in the frustration Hmm. or the, I don't know if frustration is the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if that's, it's almost like 
two sides of the coin. I don't really like that phrase, but <laughs> but almost, you know, it's like, okay, there's always going to be this battle that we are fighting that that we live through. So that can easily bring us down, but at the same time encourage us because it's not like we're we're failing because we're not completing the sanctification. Right. <laughs> as long as we are continually being sanctified. Well, I mean, I I think it goes against everything we want to believe you know like we want to believe like oh one day i'll be past this sin one day Mm. i'll be patient one day i'll be (laughs) the most holy thing but we never are you know and and i think that that does speak to uh, like exactly what you said i mean it's a that's the frustrating aspect of it right is because job i work this i go home like i accomplished the thing and i and i got it done um but it's in, in this life, it's you'll you'll get really close at the end, <laughs> but even then, you know, like you, you won't get it until you die. Yeah, and and that's a I don't know to to answer your question. Maybe I find more frustration than peace, but I do find yeah. both. Yeah, um, I'm like man, I, I want to be there already. <laughs> um, but then, so then, my answer is. Essentially, well, I'm not trusting God enough to 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 say. Uh, well, okay, I I'm not accomplishing this, so God is wrong. You know, like I, I'm I'm essentially saying that, like His timing's right. off. I should be here by now. <laughs> um, whereas the truth of the matter is, God is in His timing mm-hmm. with the future, not even as something that is going to happen to him, but it's a place where he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all of that in mind, he's allowing this to happen. He's allowing this kind of life where we do always struggle and and, uh, and experience this spiritual warfare. He's allowing that to happen. Mm-hmm. And as frustrating and as sad as that can be sometimes, <laughs> there is peace to it. So, yeah, yeah, both answer. Cool. <laughs> uh, I noticed another pet peeve of yours, though. <clears throat> Two sides to the same coin. <laughs> Why is that a pet peeve? <laughs> I don't know. It's like a it's, very it's, unassuming. <laughs> it's pretty. I mean, it's a good <laughs> analogy, I guess, for a lot of times. I don't know. Maybe it's just the ones that are overused. Mm. I just kind of like. Eh, oh. Can we come up with something else? But that one's pretty good, really. I don't know why. Interesting. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll change my mind <laughs> on that one. <laughs> so what? What we should do. Is use all of those phrases here. So you're, you're just, just sit here and yeah. steam. <laughs> uh, I did. I appreciated, the, like the the way that he words dependent responsibility. Like we are responsible, mm-hmm. but God is sovereign, and that's like the best way to put that. Because just trying to articulate that in in our own heads, it's like, well, I, yes, I do have to do these things. Yeah but I can't do them and, and how, how those fit together. Well, you're dependent or like you're responsible, but that responsibility is a dependent responsibility. Like mm-hmm. everything that you have to do is something that you can't do in your own power. And, and just the, it's two words, put them together, helped my brain. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. That's a great way to put that. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. The second thing I noticed, which was before that, um, I thank God that this is true. They said it doesn't reveal the sins of our heart to us all at once. Uh, what a weight one sin is, let alone mm. if you revealed every ugly aspect. I, I probably would run. I wouldn't right. believe it. I'd be like, no, this, this isn't true for me. Right. Because that's what I do with most sin anyway. Um, but, I mean, what a grace. Right. That, that that God is working patiently with us, mm. revealing, oh, here's one, and here's one, and here's that one that you had from a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I just, it's, a, he's, he's too good. He's too good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he knows, he knows what's best for us and how to, how, how we should approach that, I guess. I mean, it's probably the same thing I would imagine as a parent, you know, with children, and granted, yours are still quite a bit younger, you know, but, I mean, there's a disciplining process and we all know we've all been children we've all had a laundry list of things that we did that were childish and, and deserve some sort of 
uh, reprimand. Uh, and if that was, you know, our, our parents, it was kind of a case by case almost. It was, it wasn't a, listen, you've got this bad habit that you keep, you know, leaving the front door open or whatever. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I can't think of a really good example of it, <laughs> but I mean, it's the same type of thing. Like it's even just as, as children, there's, there's a lot, even now as adults, there's a lot, I mean, obviously, but we're comparing it to, um, how we are now and, and the number of things that we have that need to be, Hey, this was worth a punishment, you know? And if our parents punished us for everything that was worth a punishment, every time they punished us, none of us would have hmm. behinds on us. Like, it right. be, you know, so I don't know, maybe not the best analogy, but just trying to compare it best to something, I guess. Well, there you go. <clears throat> I think it's a good point. Shows, shows that patient, loving kindness of a father. Yeah. Yeah, you know, let this one, let this one kind of pan out uh, so that they learn. Hmm. Yeah. I like it. Well, it goes on, on on just the next page, and he says, Before I understood the gospel's important role in our transformation, I thought it was only for unbelievers. Once we became believers, we didn't need it anymore except to share it with those who were still unbelievers. I thought all we needed as Christians were the challenges and, and the how-to of, of discipleship. After all, Jesus said to go and make disciples of all nations. We do need challenge and instruction in discipleship, but we also need the gospel every day in our lives because we still sin every day of our lives. And as I've already said, the more we grow, the more we see our sin. But because we are performance-oriented by nature and our culture enforces that orientation, we want to somehow relate to God every day on the basis of our perceived performance. If we've been good, as we would define goodness, we feel reasonably secure in our relationship with God. If, on the other hand, we've had a bad day spiritually, we tend to feel insecure. In fact, that insecurity, insecurity may cause us to live in denial of how bad our de- bad days really are. But we cannot grow spiritually if we do not see our need to grow. And if our insecurity about our day-to-day relationship with God causes us to live in denial about our sin, we will not grow. This is one reason we still need the gospel every day. It helps us move from a performance relationship with God to one based on the sinless life and sin-bearing death of Jesus Christ. It daily reminds us that from God's point of view, our relationship with him is not based on how good or bad we've been, but upon the perfect goodness and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, the gospel frees us up to honestly face our sin, knowing that because of Christ's death, God no longer counts that Mm. sin against us. Mm. And this is, this goes very, uh, close to what we just said of, you know, we, we want to accomplish a task. And in the same way, we want to uh, be graded on that performance. You know, like we want, Mm -hmm. if we did good, we want to get a good reward. If we did bad, we want to be punished for it. Like generally speaking, that's true of all humans. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why men who have murdered someone confess. Like that's why that happens because they can't bear that guilt. Um, so generally speaking, those things are true. We want to be punished if we've done something wrong, and we want good things to happen to us if we've done something good. And yet, here's God scrambling all that up and saying, well, yes, you should be punished. I punished my son. Mm. You should not receive any rewards because you've done not really truly any good mm-hmm. in 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 light of what the true definition of good is, and yet I will reward you even though you've done no good at all. Yeah. Even though you deserve, it's, uh, I think he even says it later on in the book, um, grace is defined as an, and it's ill, it's not that you don't deserve grace, hmm, Maybe I'll just read it, but <laughs> it says, it's not that you don't deserve grace and that you get a reward, it said you, it was ill, def- ill, Ill-gotten. Hmm. Yeah. Huh? We'll just let him talk. He's yeah. better at it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's essentially what I'm trying to say, <laughs> not what he was trying to say. <laughs> what I'm trying to say very poorly is that uh, 
how how you can how how God can look at us and love us not based on a, a good or bad performance, but uh, like that only makes sense if Christ is there. And and I'm the fact that God no longer counts sin against us hmm. is will forever be baffling. Yeah. Yeah. I said that very poorly. That was but. eloquent, as you like to say. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate that insight. Uh, yeah, I mean, performance performance justification will lead us to hell. That's, we, we can't, th- that's hard for us. It's easy for us to grasp, but hard for us to believe at times. Because um, like you said, I mean, a, a lot... I think you said a lot of the aspects of our life, a lot of things. I mean, just being human, a, a lot of stuff is is based on performance. Like right. you know, our work, our I was going to say our job, but that's also your work. <laughs> you know, relationships. I mean, how how does what, what is what are we producing, and and is it, are we producing well, mm-hmm. and you know how are we performing that way? Um, but we can't we can't we have to grasp that we can't perform good enough to to make it quote unquote make it to heaven but even so if we could i guess i don't know like we can't outperform christ so why not Hmm. rest in the fact that we have the greatest performance performance that's a weird way to put it i guess (laughs) the greatest yeah performance ever by a human was christ and and the father sees us through him it just like you said it's baffling It, it doesn't even is baffling. Yeah. yeah. But the one, I don't even know why. I'm trying to think of what made me think of it. But just the beauty of the gospel um, and how the same gospel shows us our sin and and the brutality that we should have faced because of it, but also shows us our righteousness at the same time. And I was almost going to say it's two sides of the same coin. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. I don't know. That's just the aspect of the gospel that is beautiful. Like it's here, it's it, the same thing shows you your darkness and shows you the righteous, the righteousness that we have in Christ. Yeah. And I just, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm grateful for that. I One thing too, when he says, uh, if we've been good, then we feel like we're all right with God. And if we've been bad, then we feel like we're in a bad spot with God. Uh, how, how much of a drudge, for lack of better words, that life would be. I mean, it's if your relationship with someone is based on something that changes all the time, well, that's mm. exhausting. Yeah. Uh, how, how many bad days is too much or too many? Mm. How, how many good days is enough to, to, you know, let me coast for a while? How many, right. uh, h- how long will this go on until you give up? And that's what we tend to believe in our mm-hmm. sinfulness. You know, it's like, yeah. well, now I, I've sinned too many times. I've, I surely can't repent anymore. Like there's, there's no more grace left for me. I would be stealing at this point. You are right. Mm-hmm. Well, not in that it's been—it's a free <laughs> gift, but it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Already, Gerald is putting us through the ringer. <laughs> Two pages in. A little bit further, he says, "Suppose you want a new rug to cover the wooden floor in your living room. Being of modest means, you go to the local discount store and pay three hundred dollars for a rug. I come into your house." with a bottle of black indelible ink and spill that ink on your rug. I have just ruined your $300 rug. But suppose you're a wealthy person and you pay $30,000 for an expensive Persian rug. If I spill ink on that rug, it is an entirely different matter. Why is that true? It's the same act on my part. In both instances, I've spilled black indelible ink on a rug. The difference, of course, lies in the value of the rug. This is the way we should view the enormity of our sin. God's holiness cannot be compared to even the $30,000 rug. It is infinite. It is immeasurable. Furthermore, we do not accidentally spill our sin on God's holiness. 
for the most part, we rather pour out our sin. That is, we choose to act out our pride and selfishness, our judgmental attitudes and our unkind words about others. And when we do that, we deliberately pour out our sin on the holiness of God. That is why our sin, be it ever so small in our eyes, is always an abomination to God. Mm. Mm. The enormity of our sin. I don't... (laughs) We we can't grasp it. We can't comprehend. Because to us, you know, to our human minds, well, that's a little sin. That's a big sin. But to an infinite, immeasurable, holy God... Man, I don't. <laughs> one of the, one thing that I pray a lot, and I may have even prayed it like in a service or something, or you know, Sunday school or something. But um, in in light of of this view of our sin, um, I, I tend to pray that God would break my heart or our hearts, but that He would break it to joy. And I know that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I guess, but like, yeah, we should be, we should be heartbroken over our sin because God is so holy, and that hurts Him. Like He doesn't, He doesn't want that. He doesn't like that. He hates sin. So yeah, it should break our hearts, but not to just leave us sad about our sin. Hmm. But God, break my heart over it, the way Your heart breaks over it, but into joy because the sin has already been cleaned. You've already made me righteous in your eyes. Even at the enormity of that sin. That's how we've, through that, through the breaking of my heart, of our heart, thinking of the enormity of the sin, but yet he's still gracious to me, brings me that joy. I don't, man. <laughs> it's, it's exactly what you said just a minute ago. Of The gospel shows us that darkness, but then also shows us the light. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, uh, so I think breaking our hearts unto joys, I think is a perfect way to put it. Uh, I, for one, uh, did not know that there was such a thing as a $30,000 rug. <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> That part was mind-blowing to me. Um, and when he, I just thought it was an, an obscure analogy that didn't make any sense and uh, told Leah about it, and she was like, oh, yeah, there's plenty of rugs, like, and they're beautiful, but they're very expensive. Mm-hmm. No way. I just thought it was a, like a random story. Um, but I, I loved, though, that he was like, here's this you know, thing that everyone will know about except for Jake Simmons. And... It can't even be, like, God's holiness can't even be compared to that. Uh, it's it's infinite. It's immeasurable. Mm. And so it's not even just $30,000 worth. It's infinitely more than that. Um, and there was no accidental spill. There was no, like, oh, I made a mistake. It's uh, in light of that great of a holiness, even a small act of sin, small as we would define it, mm. uh, is a... It's an abomination. Like it's even one sin deserves to be punished by death. And and only like saying that feels harsh unless you see the holiness of God, unless you see just how wonderful and beautiful and perfect and just and right he is, uh, then it'll always be like, well, I just made a mistake. Oh, I just, I flubbed up here. I, I did this. I, uh, it was an accident. You know, it's, well, no, in in light of God's holiness, everything is is weighty because it's not it's not you doing the act; it's who the act is against. Right. <clears throat> it goes on. This is actually not anything from uh, Jerry Bridges. This is a, a quote from B.B. Warfield. He says, "There is nothing in us." or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. We must always be accepted for Christ's sake or we cannot ever be accepted at all. This is not true of us only when we believe. It is just as true after we have believed. 
It will continue to be true as long as we live. Our need of Christ does not cease with our believing, nor does the nature of our relationship, relation to him or to God through him ever alter, no matter what our attainments in Christian graces or our achievements in Christian behavior may be. It is always on his blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. There is never anything that we have that we are or have or do that can take his place or that takes a place along with him. We are always unworthy, and all that we have or do of good is always of pure grace. Though blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, we are still in ourselves just miserable sinners. Miserable sinners saved by grace to be sure, but miserable sinners still deserving in ourselves nothing but everlasting wrath. We are sinners, and we know ourselves to be sinners lost and helpless in ourselves, but we are saved sinners, and it is our salvation which gives the tone to our life, a tone of joy which swells in exact proportion to the sense we have of our ill desert. For it is to he whom much is forgiven who loves much, and who loving rejoices much. Thus, through every moment of his life, the believer is absolutely dependent on the grace of Christ, and when life is over, he still has nothing to plead but Christ's blood and righteousness. Mm. I I can't even. <laughs> what <do> you, <laughs> we, the podcast really should just be lo- reading a little <laughs> bit of this and then just silence. It's so good. Yeah. To say, uh, like you can't get away from it. Otherwise, you have mm. nothing. Mm. Um, it, it's it makes so much sense and yet why is it so why is it so easy to forget right uh why is it so easy to to trample on at times why is it so easy to to run in the opposite direction and and and, and say no i'm not i'm i'm not forgiven for this I, or mm. uh oh no that's not beautiful enough i need i need fulfillment here in this sin or i need uh to I need to hold off on, on praying. I need to hold off on reading my Bible because I'm getting a lot of fulfillment from, from this pride and this mm. selfishness. Uh, I, I love it. And I, I love that we have this gospel-centered movement in, in the world right now where people are turning to Christ for, for that kind of life. It's not just a, a gospel for unbelievers. It's a gospel for every aspect of life. Mm. Uh, and so I think... God for for guys like B.B. Warfield, which, mm-hmm. fun fact, Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield. Nice. Like, what a name. <laughs> well, I don't know why he didn't use that. Yeah. You know, like, that's a powerful <laughs> name. Um, but one interesting note that he said in here, there's nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development. I was like, man, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a really good way of putting that. Like, yeah. This is just our earthly development. <laughs> we'll be whole later. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I underlined and parenthesized, if that's a word, an asterisk and all kinds of stuff where he says, our need of Christ does not cease with our believing, nor does the nature of our relationship to him or to God through him ever alter, no matter what our attainments in Christian graces or our achievements in Christian behavior may be. Man, I, there's another one on the fridge right there. Like, I just... <laughs> Golly, man. And, I mean, like you said, we there's always going to be a struggle. Um, I mean, we, we, we want performance recognition. We want that. We desire that. So that's always going to be, I think that's always going to be a struggle. That's part of the sanctification process is we're nothing, you know, but we're, we're not ever going to fully grasp that just because we're wired that way. And, I mean, he knows, you know, God knows, and I, I don't like, using that reasoning too often like oh well we're this way but but god knows we are so you know it's not that it makes it okay mm. but there's some comfort in his in him understanding that hey we're going to struggle with some things like this until our last day yeah. uh but yeah like i said I, I don't even there's not even a whole lot of follow-up on on that it's just man thanks Brit. Who? What? Brecken, Breckenridge? What did you say? Benjamin, Benjamin Breckenridge. Breckenridge. I like it. I like it. As he will now forever be known. <laughs> A little bit further on. 
Jerry, back to Jerry, mm -hmm. writes, As we open our Bibles to read, we should do so with a prayer that God, through His Spirit, will meet us in His Word, will meet with us in His Word. In 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul said that all Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. I pray over that verse and asking that God will teach, rebuke, correct, and encourage me in whatever way He knows I need. That is to say, I'm not looking merely for intellectual information. I want God to teach me more about Himself and to address specific issues in my life. Sometimes the scripture I'm reading is very direct, such as, do not be anxious about anything, and God speaks to me about my tendency to anxiety in some particular situation. At another time, he may use a principle from a totally unrelated situation to address an issue in my life. Once, God used Paul's words, we worked night and day to rebuke me for feeling sorry for myself because I was working into the evening every day just to keep up with my ministry responsibilities. I don't want to give the impression that I get some great insight or great instruction from God every day as I read my Bible. Sometimes, I receive nothing at all. God is sovereign and infinitely wise. He knows what I need. He knows what we need, and he apportions to us the truth. He knows we need as we need it, <clears throat> but if we will humbly and expectantly look to him, he will teach us and train us as he sees fit. After all, he is the agent of our spiritual transformation. He is far more desirous that we profit from our Bible reading than we are. Hmm. And that, that line was, he's far more desirous that we profit from our Bible reading than we are. Yeah. <laughs> and and to, to, to think through, too, like, uh, opening, and I don't know if this is, <coughs> if this is totally, you know, what I got from, from some day in the past of, you know, like, I was super emotionally charged to read, and when I read, it, like, perfectly fit my situation, and, uh, and so I don't know if it's, like, now it's on me that I expect that. You know, like now it's a, uh, that's a selfish thing to, to sit before a holy God's word and say, mm -hmm. uh, oh, where's the emotion? Where's the, where's the feel good? Where's yeah. the, or, or on the other side, where are the tears? Where's the brokenness and, mm -hmm. and all of that? Um, maybe it's there. Uh, maybe, and, and I love that he said it. Sometimes I receive nothing at all. God is wise. He gives truth when he when we need it. And I was like, <clears throat> <laughs> and uh, yes, I mean we know that, but in us is a a different kind of expectation mm -hmm. that I, I I I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm lost for words again. Yeah, that the, that last line is is key. Uh, he is far more desirous that we profit from our Bible reading than we are. Uh, I feel like reading Scripture, whether it's just our regular Scripture, re Bible reading time, or a one-off, or whatever, um, I know for me it can be... Um, I can approach it the way I do prayer sometimes in maybe not the best way, like, you know, a lot of times we're praying for something specific. Um, you know, there's a prayer need, somebody's health or relationships or work or whatever it might be. Um, and sometimes, and I think it's maybe, I don't know if it's dangerous, but I think we have to be careful um, when reading Scripture that we're not going into it trying to find something specific. Mm. I mean, obviously, that's not, you know what I mean? I don't know mm -hmm. that it's always a bad thing, but if we have to be open, because like I said, he's more desirous that we, that we get something from it than we are. So he's, he knows what we need to, what we need to know, what we need to hear, what we need to learn. And so he's going to give us that. But if I'm looking, you know, searching through the index in the back, trying to find, you know, hot topic words that I'm dealing with right now, mm -hmm. um, which isn't always a bad way to approach it. But if, if I'm looking for something, what, what, if I'm putting my own thoughts into the scripture and trying to get something out for that specifically, maybe I'm going to miss what he really wants me to get from that, right. you know? And, and not that we shouldn't seek, you know, 
help or or advice or, or comfort about specific things. Right. But I think there are times where I know for me, I just need to read just to read right. and for him to give me what, what he wants to give me and not me seeking out, oh, man, I'm really struggling with, with anger right now. Let me, let me find what I can about anger. Hmm. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. But if that's right. the only way I ever read Scripture, I mean— I'm not going to try to stifle the spirit and what he wants me to hear, you know, right. I mean, because he knows more than what I know. He knows more about what I need to know than myself. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Man. But that was good. I need a fridge for your quotes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you've heard the terms uh, exegesis and eisegesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, exegesis is you're getting something out, like mm-hmm. excavating this is what the truth is, and then I said, so it's what you're talking about is yeah. a little bit of mm-hmm. personal eisegesis. Right. Well, I mean, I, I, yes, there are some great truths here, but this talks about this thing that's really pertinent to my mm-hmm. life. How can I find what I need here? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, essentially, and that can that can easily lead to manipulation mm. of of scripture, you know. And I know, like us specifically in our church, like you and Pastor Nick. And I know there are a bunch of other churches that do it, but um, Sunday mornings, read the whatever passage we're in, and then context. Hey, here's what this is. Here's what this is for, and that helps to eliminate the eisegesis or own personal eisegesis of mm, what. Let me let me see how I can get out of this what I want or what I need right now. You know, because that's that's dangerous. You know, I mean. In a sense, that's what we what we're always going to do. What am I getting from this? But if if we're if we're trying, to, hmm, I don't know how to word it. I'm not going to try, but <laughs> but we had to be careful with that. But yeah, yeah, good point. It goes on. <clears throat> this this gets to uh, somewhat the the question of. What we read in the intro, the, the very mm. beginning. So desires determine the direction of our hearts. All of us have many desires, some significant and some mundane and incidental. Some are sinful desires and some are legitimate and amoral. Our desires are to some extent our treasures. The morning I was to begin working on this chapter, my wife had an early morning meeting. In her rush to get out of the house, she left undone a couple of small household tasks she would normally do. I noted these two things, but I also was very desirous to get to my work, so what should I have done? Should I have ignored those household tasks, thinking she would do them when she came home? Or should I have sought in a very small way to love my wife as Christ loved the church by doing these incidental household chores for her? Because I pray regularly that the Holy Spirit will enable me to love her as Christ loved the church. I saw this as an opportunity to love my wife in a practical way. My desire to follow the pattern of Jesus in a small way overcame my desire to get to my work. Hmm. I realize this mundane event may seem so incidental that it is scarcely worth mentioning, but the fact is, life is made up of a mosaic of seemingly small and incidental events. All day long we are following our desires, and the overall response to those desires ultimately determines the direction of our lives. So if we desire to be more conformed, be conformed more so to the character of Jesus, we must desire to know and do the will of God. This means we must continually bring our minds under the influence of the scriptures by the various means discussed in chapter 11. And we must pray that the Holy Spirit will use those means to increase our knowledge of the will of God and our desire to do it. But what will cause us to want to do what we ought to do? The answer is gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ and the love for God that flows out of that gratitude. That is why we must continually embrace the gospel every day of our lives. For he that is forgiven much loves much. It is the love of Christ for us that constrains us to live no longer for ourselves, but for him. Mm. What will cause us to want to do what we ought to do? Mm. The answer could be something selfish. Could be, well, I'm, I'm happy when I, when my wife is happy. You know, like it, as long as, as long as she's not, you know, unhappy, then I'm happy. Uh, that's somewhat selfish. 
why why should I if I'm a if I'm a kid, why should I listen to my parents? Well, so I don't get in trouble. Um, and and you notice with each of those answers, like, well, I'm I am wrapped up in that answer a lot. Mm. Uh, it's pretty self-serving, self-preserving, uh, and yet he's saying it's actually a a fulfillment, a, a gratitude. Um, in what Christ has done that will lead us to do what we ought to do. Uh, and I, I know it, like I, I, I've seen it happen in my own life, and yet uh, I couldn't have ever put it in, in words like this. Like mm-hmm. the, to be able to say, essentially, what's the, what's the transforming power of the gospel? What will help us to change? What will... Um, well, not what's the transforming power of the gospel. What transforms us? Well, the, the power behind that is the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to do what you want. You want to do what you ought to do. Uh, like it, I, I have this conversation all the time, and I'm always chiming in when, when somebody will say to me, I, I just wish I was more motivated to, to do this. I, was, mm. I wish I was more motivated to read. I wish I had like a heart to read. Um, and I'm always like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I wish I had more of a motivation to do it. Um, but the answer is in the gospel. Like that, That's where the motivation for, for all that we are supposed to do comes from, mm-hmm. that we have a, a, a Savior who has done it all perfectly, and so we stand in that, and that he died for, for the, the sins, the, the failure of not doing it, um, and that is secure. Like mm-hmm. that life and death, are ours in Christ. And so now we can obey with joy, joyful obedience as opposed to anything selfish. Well, I've Mm got to get this done or I'll be in trouble or I've got to get this done uh, so that I'll be happy. It's like, no, all all of that is already accomplished. Mm -hmm. Now it's gratitude. Now it's let me behold Christ and go and get this done because he's too good. I can't not (laughs) obey now. Take all of me. Take this life. Mm -hmm. I... You, you've done everything for me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, when he says our desires are to some extent our treasures. I mean, that's, hmm. I mean, I think we know, we know that. Um, we might neglect that sometimes, or we may try to trick ourselves into thinking our, we, you know, what our desires are, but deep down we know what they are uh, and what we treasure when really we should be treasuring, like you said, the, the graciousness of, of Christ. Um, yeah, you know, I, I like his example of of the little things, the little thing that he needed to do for his wife. Um, but he said, because I pray regularly that the Holy Spirit will enable me to love her as Christ loved the church, my desire to follow the pattern of Jesus in a small way overcame my desire uh, to get to my work. Man, how many times have I neglected Christ? Or you know, I mean, just. The, the what do you say the the pattern of Jesus um, because of something else whether it's work or some other thing that I have to do which really in that moment is my treasure over Jesus hmm. um, I mean the the importance of of prayer and of reading scripture is huge I mean we just talked about um, the enormity of our sin and how we we there's no good within us like we cannot muster up any good how are we to reflect on the goodness of god without being just a, continually absorbing uh his truth which is in his scripture and so with without placing that um the importance on on scripture and prayer we we can't fully I mean, it's obvious. We can't fully enjoy the gospel, enjoy him. Uh, what did he say? What did he say? For he that is forgiven much loves much. And so for us to know how much we are forgiven uh, will then lead us to to love deeper. The more we know, the, the heavier we know that we have been forgiven. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> the, the amount that we have been forgiven will increase the amount that we love. Hmm. And so we're not going to know that if we're not reflecting that off of Scripture right. <laughs> and through prayer. Right. That was a ramble, but <laughs> it was all over the place. But that uh, was, I, I, I really appreciate 
I appreciate his approach and his reminder of of the small things, even in the in the little yeah. ways. You know, it's like, man, this may seem just minuscule, but man, this is a reflection of of how I'm loving my wife, how I'm treating others, the way Christ calls me to. Hmm. Even in the little things, it's very yeah. important. I, yeah, I loved that too. It says. Um, the fact is life is made up of a mosaic of seemingly small and incidental events. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one, one unhelpful thing about um, like movies and, and heroes. It's like there's always um, somebody who needs to be saved, somebody who needs, you know, like some giant act of kindness or, you know, salvation. You know, it's like, oh, that's, that's what life's all about. And it's like, well, how often are those times truly around? Like, uh, um, you know, r- running into a building to save someone from a, a burning building, <laughs> running into a building, uh, a burning building to save someone. Mm-hmm. That's not going to happen very much. But uh, what does happen is small, minor offenses that I have to overlook or mm-hmm. address in love. Um, uh, l- loving my neighbor small ways mm. loving my wife my kids in small ways um like i that's what it's that's what the that mosaic like when you look back on life there's not a ton of mm. of ways that you know we were the big hero it's you know, just day after day after day right um one one for instance uh you know you hear often like i love my wife so much i'd die for her like i'd take a bullet for her uh, it's like the, but the joke is like, yeah, but I won't share my drink with her or I won't do it. It's like, well, uh, th- that's a, a, probably a dumb example, but, um, but a, a better way to say that would be, I'd take a bullet for her. I, I love my wife that much. Um, but to, to put the, po- the toilet seat down or to, mm. to do this in the way that she prefers or to, um, to listen to her talk about this thing that I hate hearing her talk about mm-hmm. um, any of that. Like, it's like, I want to love her in the big way, but in the small daily cross, mm. Mm. Um, yet that's where life is made of. Right. Like, that's what right. he's saying is like, it's all, it's made up of these moments, mm-hmm. not the big giant moments. Yeah. And if you think about it, that's one moment and then it's gone. You're, you're, you're dead. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's easier for you to say, I'll take a bullet for you, wife. Because chances are you're never gonna have to, <laughs> but <laughs> <Right>. the toilet seat <laughs> is a daily occurrence. Right. It's maybe a dumb example. Maybe somebody <laughs> out there is like, "Yeah, I do leave it up all the time." But so my that was my ramble. Yeah, no, it's a good ramble. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, loving others and 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 speaking to others well, he says, "Let me suggest three questions." You can ask yourself about your speech to or about others. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it kind? Number three, is it necessary? Mm. If what you're about to say either to or about someone cannot pass these three tests, you should refrain from saying it. Mm. Our tongues can be instruments to build up or to tear down. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin making you aware of speech that tends to tear down another person and to enable you to see where you can use your tongue more to build up others. Hmm. Then ask him to show you critical attitudes in your heart. For Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm. Mm. Um, A little bit of guilt (laughs) for reading that. (laughs) Oh, man. Every... So, example. Not example, but... um, story kind of story time like I feel like we all struggle with this to an extent you know um so for me I work in the construction field not not in uh, not in a field doing construction I sit at a desk but I deal with construction um and so and this is I'm just using myself as an example this is probably anybody whether it's work or just life or family whatever but there are a lot of times you're really frustrated with people and it's not always polite talk in the workplace, especially, I mean, when you're dealing with people who maybe didn't do their job right or something, you know, and they're, 
not in the office. They're, they don't work for us. They're just some random person. And it's like, golly, Billy or whoever, you know, it's just like, you know, there's always, so confession, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not always the best at, at, at doing this well, answering those three questions <laughs> right. Um, and poor, it, poor in, Billy. <laughs> That's a bad example because we work with the Billy a lot. He's fantastic. I love Billy. Billy, if you're listening, you're great. I was not referencing you. <laughs> Billy's great. Uh, but also in thinking of that, so it made me think of because he said, what, is, what was the phrase he used? Our, our tongues can be instruments to build up or to tear down. And it got me thinking, like in construction, it is it, what you may tear down. So it's, it's way easier to tear something down and much faster than it is to build it up. Hmm. So like we can, you know, we've got a, a, a concrete or a block wall built, that thing can get knocked down in seconds and it may take days or weeks to build back. And so it's like, man, that, that's the way I need to think of how I'm building up or tearing down <laughs> other people. Like if, 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 I'm t if someone gets torn down by my words, how long is it gonna take for them to be built back up just to where they were, not built back up better, but just to the structure that they were before they were torn down. Oh, man. Mm. Dude. Anyway, <laughs> that's something I need to work on. I mean, it just, because sometimes you just get caught up, you know, in the moment or whatever, but, and you try to be, you know, as kind as you can. Yeah. But, but there are times where it's like, man, that wasn't either necessary or kind or true <laughs> or two or all three of those at once. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad he stated it like that because it, I don't know that I've really actually thought of it that way. Like mm. when, when someone's, if you're tearing someone down, how long is it gonna take for them to be built back up to where they were? Yeah. And then it's my fault that they were torn down. That's not good, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Mm -hmm. So I am still, like I, every single podcast I grow more and more ready to read your book so whenever you come out, I mean, well done i'm just gonna let you take all my audio clips and then type it up into a book and then there you go title it aaron's eloquent rambling yes yeah. <laughs> yeah i if if i if i learned this lesson in marriage it would be a wonderful day um the i i, I like to to make jokes I came from a construction field, uh, not a field where they were doing construction, oh, man, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it's just common to just cut each other Banter. down. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, whereas outside of like, get out of that context, the things you say are really mean <laughs> at times, you know, and, and really uh, not kind, right. not even necessary, mm -hmm. uh, like at all. Yeah. Um, and so having to, to think through like, well, why am I about to make fun of her for that? Mm. Uh, that's not necessary. Mm. Uh, that's not even kind. Um, and 99% of the time it's not even true. You know, like <laughs> it's just something to, to, to say. Right. Uh, if, if, if the world was f less full of words that I have said, <laughs> man, it would be a, a good day. I disagree, but no. I see what you're saying. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe Leo would agree with me. <laughs> <clears throat> well, it goes on. Bit of a long quote. But he says, I want to encourage you to persevere in this pursuit of being transformed by the gospel. Even when you think you're not making much progress. The truth is that the more sincerely and diligently we pursue holiness, the more sin and character flaws we will see in our own lives. The reason for this is twofold. First, the Holy Spirit does not show us all our sin at once. Rather, he gradually shows us from the scriptures what it means to have Christ-like character and enables us to see where we fall short of it. It is not, I hope, that we are sinning more. It is that we are becoming more aware of and more sensitive to sin that has been there all along. Mm. Second, as long as we live, we experience the internal fighting that Paul described in Galatians 5.17. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. We should keep in mind that we live in what theologians call the already-not-yet era 
between Christ's ascension and His second coming. During this time, there is a continual tension between who we are in Christ and what we are in our daily experience. Through our union with Christ, we are already seated with Him in the heavenly places, yet we still live in a sin-cursed world with all its difficulties and pain. We are already holy and blameless before God through our union with Christ, but we still sin every day. When we trust in Christ as our Savior, we are, through His death, forgiven of our sin so that we are no longer considered guilty before God. He has forgiven us all our sin because Jesus bore that sin on the cross. Having then been freed from the guilt of sin, we are, as a result, freed from its reign in our lives. As Paul put it in Romans 6, 2, we have died to sin, not to its activity in our lives, but to its absolute reign. Sin may make may wage its guerrilla warfare against us, but it cannot reign in our lives. We have, to use Paul's words, died to that reign. So we no longer have a relationship to sin's guilt and reign, but we still have the presence of the flesh to deal with. When we want to do right, evil, that is the flesh, lies close at hand. The fact that we are all, that we still experience the presence and struggle of sin is part of the already not yet tension of this life. Because we still have the flesh waging war against us, we still experience the activity of sin every day. We're called on to put it to death. We are to abstain from the passions of the flesh that war against our souls. People without Christ do not experience this warfare. They live comfortably under under sin's reign. But once we are delivered from that reign, the warfare with sin begins. I call this the discomfort of the justified state. On the one hand, we are justified. As we saw in chapter 4, we stand before God just as if we'd never sinned and just as if we'd always obeyed. On the other hand, we see that in our daily experience, we do sin. We often do not obey. So, what will keep us from becoming discouraged as we see further sin in our lives? What will motivate us to persevere in our battle with remaining sin, even on those days where we don't seem to make any progress? It is the realization that in Christ we already stand holy and blameless before God. If you commit yourself to the pursuit of Christ's likeness, you will discover an, an, an increasing tension between your desire to know and do the will of God and your perceived progress in doing it. This increased tension can become discouraging and demotivating. The solution to this dilemma is to keep in mind that in our standing before God, He sees us clothed in the perfect obedience of Christ. This standing never changes, regardless of whether we are having a good day or a bad day. In Him, we are always holy and blameless. In Him, we are always as perfectly righteous as He was in His sinless humanity. This is the way we should resolve the tension between what we desire to be and what we see of ourselves in our daily experience. We should look more at our standing before God in Christ than we do at our actual experience. And that continual looking to who we are in Him will motivate us to become more like Him in our experience. To do this, of course, means we must daily embrace the gospel. Mm. Long quote, but it's hard to, it's hard to take some of that out and, yeah. and, and try to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to say we should look more at our standing before God in Christ than we do at our actual experience Mm. that that, I I cannot even I cannot even put into words how helpful that is in in the in just like daily life for instance uh, was on a trip and uh, with Nick and Chris and just asked one morning uh, what how do you know that God loves you and uh like, well, you know, look, look outside, look at the, the beauty of this world. Uh, I can actually enjoy that because Christ loves me. Uh, the other answer was, um, was because of what I've read in scripture that, that, uh, Jesus Christ has died for me and, and has, and then the, the third answer was, <clears throat> um, well, I, I don't know it this morning, but, uh, in that, like the the struggle or the unpeace. What's a word for unpeace? <laughs> mm. 
the, the pain or something like that. The, yeah. Um, yeah. the unsettledness of my heart that was there due to the fact that I didn't feel it was actually comfort. Mm. Because if I, if I didn't, if I wasn't loved by God, then I wouldn't care. Mm. Um, but there is a sense in which, since I didn't feel it, I was like, oh, well, this isn't sitting right with me. This is why mm-hmm. I asked the question. Yeah. Um, and, and so knowing that it doesn't matter if I feel like it or not. I, I shouldn't look to my actual experience. It doesn't matter if, if I've had the worst earthly day ever. My standing in heaven is sure. My, mm-hmm. my footing there is, is always sure. Uh, and that should characterize my life more than more than my failure, more than my good days or bad days. Uh, so s- someone I should be the most content person of all time because of what Christ has done for me. And, and so uh, to, to, to encapsulate all of that together and say the transforming that we are all longing for, uh, the power to do that comes from the gospel. Mm. It's not just for unbelievers, it's for us. Mm. Sometimes it feels more more so. so. (laughs) Uh, So that that blew my mind. The actual, look more at our standing before God in Christ than Mm. our actual experience. Mm. And well, okay. (laughs) How how much that relates to the fact that we are made for another world, that this actual mm. experience isn't the mm. true reality. Like there's something better awaiting us. And right. it's in some mind blowing way already true. We are already and not yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, just hurts my brain, <laughs> makes my heart in happy. The best way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yep. I like when he says, uh, I think this was earlier on in that quote that you were reading. Um, the more sincerely and diligently we pursue holiness, the more sin and character flaws we will see in our own lives, which almost seems a little counterintuitive. <laughs> like, I'm pursuing holiness, and now I see just how much of a scumbag I really am. Uh, and then he goes on, and this is kind of somewhat coming full circle to what we were talking about earlier. He says uh, and that we are becoming more aware of and more sensitive to the sin that has been there all along and like we said earlier he doesn't he doesn't show us all that at once like he's it's in his time he's patient you know just ugh, man but to sincerely and diligently pursue holiness but in that in that pursuit of holiness we will see our character flaws and our sin what are you going to say you about to say something <laughs> <laughs> well, inadvertently i believe uh, you plugged his other book, Pursuit of Holiness. He said, in that pursuit of holiness. Uh, like, oh, man. So well done. Oh, man. Golly. Yep. But it's, I cut uh, you off. So. No, that's fine. That's, I, I didn't have a whole lot to, to go on this because it was so, I mean, like you said, it's a long quote. But, man, it just encapsulates kind of everything we just went over. Yeah. So good. But we have to, I think that's why sometimes maybe the diligence, um, that we that we have to have and that we do have at times in pursuing holiness, maybe that's one of the struggles. Is that man? The more we pursue this, and the more we are sanctified, the more we do see our sin. And that's we don't want. You, you know, you would think it's like, oh, the the more I'm pursuing holiness, the less I'm going to recognize the sin. Hmm. You know, because I'm getting farther away from it or whatever. Hmm. But really, it's the sin has always been there and is still there. And as we pursue that holiness, we recognize it more. It's just more magnified, which is good. Obviously, there's a reason it's that way. But again, it's almost like a, it's almost kind of, it sounds counterintuitive, but it's not. Hmm. And I guess in a way it doesn't sound counterintuitive. Like there's, it's, it's beneficial, but it's just, it's one of those things that's a reminder that, yeah. man, you got to remember it's not, you know, in the sanctification process, it's not a, oh, my sin seems less and less now because I'm more sanctified. No, it, your sin is going to seem greater and greater the more sanctified that you become, which is a good thing to recognize that. Hmm. So somewhat hmm. uh, the, the muscles of, of that, like, bear with me, mm-hmm. um, f- flexing that uh, 
the muscle of, of gospel belief. Uh, in the same way, when you get stronger, the weight gets heavier. Mm. You know, you, you mm-hmm. bump up to a different weight set. Right. Uh, when the same way, the more you see your sin, the, the greater mm. results you will get. The greater um, gospel belief muscle gets, the bigger it gets. Mm-hmm. That makes uh, total sense. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> uh, but maybe it's something along those lines of... of yeah. The more you go along, the harder it gets, but the better right. it gets. Right. Hmm. Yeah, the more you're built up. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. I'm really good at exercise and workout analogies because <laughs> I do it all the time. That, soccer. <laughs> you know, it's just two sides of the same coin. <laughs> On that note, we've just read b- portions of it, but uh, I think we can both say buy this book if you don't have this book mm. we will buy it for you well i'll give you this copy that yeah. you gave me. <laughs> <laughs> i'll give you this one uh read all the notes that don't make any sense but to to end let us fight the war well knowing we aren't relating to the father based on our performance but based on christ's performance in our place yes Sin is terribly costly before a holy God, but Jesus has paid every drop of that debt in his blood. We are responsible, responsible, but also dependent on the grace of God to be responsible, to let us drive our hearts to the, God, to the cross. Let us open God's word even if we don't feel like it, even if we don't feel like it's giving anything to us, because it is working. There is grace there. And this grace is the only substance that will cause us to do what we ought to do. This is the only way we can speak in healthy ways to one another. And in it all, let us behold the gospel, that we stand holy and blameless before a holy God if we are in Christ. Until next time, this has been Aaron Alvarado and me, Jacob Simmons, and we are made for another world.